When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here once again with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a popular and prolific actor with dozens of movie, theater, and television roles to his credit. Films include The Producers, The Late Show, Bad Medicine, Serial, Old Calcutta, The Jerk, Analyze This, The Holiday, and a movie we've discussed quite a bit on this show, My Favorite Year. You also know him from numerous TV appearances and shows like All in the Family, St. Elsewhere, Chicago Hope, L.A. Law, The Love Boat, My Name is Earl, How I Met Your Mother, Norm, Seinfeld, and of course, as Walter Finlay, the accommodating and long-suffering husband of B. Arthur's title character on the iconic CBS series Maud. In a career spanning seven decades, he's worked with and shared the stage with and the screen with artists such as Art Carney, Mel Brooks, Steve Martin, Gene Wilder, Lily Tomlin, Julie Harris, Peter O'Toole, Tony Curtis, Alan Arkin, and Walter Matthau as well as our previous podcast guests, Norman Steinberg, Carl Reiner, Richard Benjamin, and Norman Lear. Please welcome to the show one of our favorite performers and the man responsible for actor William H. Macy, going by the name William H. Macy. The very funny Bill Macy. By the way, Gil. Yes. He had a put an H in his name because when I became an actor in 1950, the union said, what's your name? And I said, my name is William Garber. 
And they said, wait a minute. And they went to the file. They said, we already have a William Garber. You can't use the same name for another individual. So what's your middle name? I said, Macy. And so they said, well, use William Macy. And so I finally made William into Bill, and I became Bill Macy. 30 years later, William Macy came along, and his name is William Macy. And I said to the union, he can't use my name. They told him about it, and he said, okay, I'll put an H in to differentiate the theme. So he's known as William H. Macy, and I'm known as Velvel Moish Garber. (laughs) (laughs) Velvel Moish. I think there's already a Velvel Moish in the business. So, So you might have to change it. Yeah. By the way, the introduction that you just gave to the audience was only, well, I'm trying to think of like a superlative kind of a a word because I never heard that before in my life. I never knew that I worked with so many people. (laughs) I mean. You did, Bill. And with the names that they all had, my God. And then you said uh, long-suffering. You used that when I was the husband of B. Arthur. Listen, I want to correct that right now, especially not only to your audience, but to you. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> there used to be a delicatessen on Fairfax near Olympic. Our studio was on Beverly and Fairfax. And every uh, week when we taped the show on Friday, I would jump into the bagel it's a Jewish deli at the time. It's not, it doesn't exist there anymore. But I would get a hot pastrami to go. And then I would go to the studio, and there would be B in her makeup robe and all. And I'd say, here, because she loved hot pastrami. And she would go, <laughs> <laughs> and give me a little taste here and there and so on. That's how we got along. I would do anything for her because I loved her. Wow. So how was, what kind of a person was she like? Like me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, 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 not like me. I'm flat chested. No. (laughs) Uh, She was a superb actress. Can you imagine doing 144 episodes and learning all the lines that she had to do? I I know how difficult it was because I had to go home every night, study lines, then take it in the next day, and we would be on book for a day or two. And eventually we'd be off book. But she had the brunt of those lines that all of these crazy writers wrote for her. And then not only the line, then she had to enact them, E-N-A-C-T, for the people who don't know what I'm talking about. And she was super. And uh, my wife and I, Samantha, who's sitting behind me, by the way, uh, we watched the reruns of Maud. Every Friday night on uh, Time Warner Cable, station number 1258 Antenna. And I'm amazed, continually amazed, how she carries the show. And I'm trying to back up. I'm happy that I had the job and so on and so forth. But uh, the rest of the company also was dynamite. The only one I didn't like was Hal Cooper, our director, because he was a son of a gun. He once booted me in the ass because I wasn't able to do a a piece of business the way he wanted it to. Wow. 
I I got to tell the audience a story that I thought would have made a great introduction. Uh, my wife was the one talking to you originally. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, okay, we're going to do it by Skype and I'll email you the information. To which you said to her over the phone, I don't know about Skype. I don't know about email. I'm a 95-year-old Jew in my car, and I'm looking to buy herring. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, and listen, here's what I promised Maggie who brought me here. Uh, I said I would sing my song for you about my age. You ready? Okay. Hit it. <laughs> I'll never be 94 again. Now I'm 95. Amen. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, and one request I have. At the end of Mel Brooks' classic, The Producers, yep. you're the chairman of the jury. Oh, he's you're the, the foreman, the yeah. Jury, the yeah. foreman of right. the jury. <laughs> and uh, Gene Wilder and Zero Mustel are on trial for their crazy scheme. And at the end, the judge says to you, has the jury reached their verdict? And you say, we have, Your Honor. And then he said, how do you find? And I said, we find the defendants incredibly guilty. (laughs) That's a great moment. Every time I see that movie, your one line there cracks me up. That was my first movie. Now, listen to this. Do you know how I got that part? How? No, we are just going to ask. I was doing... <laughs> right. <laughs> I was doing America Hurrah, written by Jean-Claude Vanitali at 12th Street and 3rd Avenue, a North Broadway play. And uh, Mel and his uh, associate came to see the show. We had, we had no curtain call on that show. It ran for quite a while, and it was very good, very funny. And he came backstage, and he said, Bill, I enjoyed what you did and all. Uh, I'm doing a movie called The Producers, but uh, all the parts are cast, but maybe I can find something for you. Would you do something if I found something for you? I said, of course. So a couple of days later, his associate called and said, Bill, we have a... a Foreman, uh, the jury, uh, would you do it? It's only one line. You get $200 for it. I said, of course. I did it, and I just gave it to you for nothing. (laughs) We're honored. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. And the herring part. Let's talk about the herring part. Yes. (laughs) Not everybody even knows what herring is. They don't even know how to spell it. (laughs) H-E-R-R-I-N-G. And it's a fish. And it's a delicious fish when it's pickled or drunk, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and there's a restaurant, a Jewish restaurant here in Beverly Hills called Nate and Al. Oh, sure. And I go there when I can get in <laughs> and push my way through and say, two herring to go, please, pickled herring, please, for Bill. <laughs> and I give everybody the tips. I get out of there and I park over on Maple, no music, read the sports page. And enjoy the herring in quiet privacy. <laughs> Gil, what about you? Are you a herring fan? No. I, I, <laughs> you don't enjoy, appreciate the joys of herring. I never.
Forgot Terry. <laughs> now, what was the story you were going to tell us about the neighborhood, about uh, about this the 7th Avenue and uh, before we were right. talking off mic? Now, Gilbert, yes. I hope you don't mind that Frank just asked me that that question because that's the opening question to my life. Oh, okay. As it, <laughs> as, it as it were, uh, in terms of me being here in front of you, because this is the end of my life. I expect to die right after the show. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I may be dying during the show. <laughs> I came out of the service in 1946, went in in 42, uh, served in New Guinea, Philippines, and Japan eventually. And after they dropped the bomb, he was sent home, so I was... Uh, discharge in 46, and I walked the streets of Manhattan not knowing what to do. I was 24 years old. I was born in 1922, and this is 1946. And my mother, if she had 50 cents, would give me it, and I would take a diamond, a nickel on the bus, nickel on the subway, go to Manhattan, walk around and find out. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And on 47th, between 8th and 9th one day, I see a sign that said, Act now, one flight up. I went up. The lady there says, hello? I said, what is the sign? She said, this is an acting school. What's that, I said. A guy comes out of an office, and he says, listen, are you a GI? I said, yes. You'll come to the school. The government will pay for you, and you'll find out what it is. I said, I accept. Two months later, he kicked me out of the school because he said the government doesn't want to pay for you. You owe me $200. I didn't have a penny to my name, but I had a taste of what it had been, uh, an acting school. So he said, you can't go to, because you don't have any prior uh, experience as an actor, but you could go to a college or a university because you graduate high school. I said, thank you. And I, he let me go, and I enrolled in New York University in the drama department. And upon my entrance... The, the the professor took one look at me and saw I was older than the average 17, 18-year-old coming into college, and he made me the stage manager, and I was a stage manager four years. I got $75 a month. I got all my books taken care of, my tuition taken care of, and I did four years there, and the day after I graduated in 1954, I went up to 60th Street and 10th Avenue got myself a job as a cab driver. Now, I'm driving a cab, I bump into different people here and there, and this black musician and I became buddies when we turned in our money at night, and one day in 1958, he says, Bill, somebody left the script of a Broadway show in the back seat of your cab, in the back seat of my cab, and he gave it, maybe he couldn't use it, so I took it home and read it, once more with feeling with Joseph Cotton, Arlene Francis, and Walter Matthau. And I said, I could play this small part. I took it to the producer, Martin Gable, and he wanted to throw me out of the office. I said, I'm not leaving. I want to play that part. I said, be at the National Theater tomorrow. you have an audition. I was there. I auditioned. I didn't get the part. But he said, you can be the understudy to Walter Matthau. Wow. 1958. I did that for a year. Went on two or three times. Oh, yeah. Um, I, he went on, he was sick one night. I went on, I, they gave me a couple of tickets for my mother and father. I don't want to break the microphone. What, what, the next thing I'm going to do. 
my mother and father were sitting in row M, and the show was over, and Joseph Cotton there, Arlene Francis here, and I'm over here. And my father stood up in row M yelling, Billy! Billy! <laughs> and, and, and Arlene says to me, who's that? I said, that's my father. He was so proud, you know. That's great. And I then I left that show, and I went to America Hurrah again. That's where Mel Brooks saw me. And each little time I did something, it led to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Look, what look, uh, uh, Gilbert, you had me come out of here. And, you know, I appreciate that because uh, just before I actually get into the into the coffin, my God, I mean, then please bury me with some herring and some sour cream and some latkes and, and all kinds of Jewish stuff so I can eat while I'm there. I read when you were doing the play with Joseph Cotton, you said you never saw anybody with such pale blue eyes as Joseph Cotton. Well, if you say that, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I just made it up. Was no, it a, I just made an interview with it up. I make up my life. Don't you understand that? <laughs> and can you imagine? I'm not even embarrassed, even though my wife is sitting right behind me. Yes. And Maggie, who brought me here with the dog. The dog is uh, maybe he, he sort of doesn't enjoy what he's doing. We, we want to thank Maggie and Samantha again. Now, there you go. Uh, what, what's interesting about your father screaming out, Billy, Billy, is that originally your parents were disappointed that you didn't want to go into business, I heard. Like, they, they, didn't, they weren't crazy about the idea of you becoming an actor. Who told you that nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you find that? Same place as the Joseph Cotton story. I think so. <laughs> listen, listen. Listen, Gil. Yeah. We were so poor... <laughs> that it didn't make any difference what you did. When I said my mother gave me 50 cents, I exaggerated. She gave me a quarter. <laughs> a nickel on the bus, nickel on the subway, walk around the town, and a dime back, and a nickel for a bagel. And I did that for, for who knows how long until I got lucky. Every time I bump into people, I got lucky. Well, this, well, um, look, look, look what we're doing now. Now, I know that uh, on this podcast that you have listeners. We do. And I'm going to tell every listener that you have, I bless you. I'm, I'm only a vessel through the eyes of our creator. And all of you that are listening to this are being blessed. Well, first of all, <laughs> to have the temerity to listen to my nonsense, you got to be blessed for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Gil read off a list of 200 names that I worked with. So, you know, so at least I made some contribution. What I try to do is the mantra that my wife gave me, Samantha, who's sitting right behind me. She said, you say every day to yourself, or to people that you meet, it says, I'm happy, I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm friendly. Now, even before she told me that mantra, which I use daily, I was happy, I was sort of strong, I was confident, sort of confident, and I was always friendly, as you can hear me talking to you. I mean, this is a pleasure that somebody said, sit down and talk, <laughs> but cried out loud, God bless you. <laughs> Speaking of your mom, Bill, I'm going to try another question. 
<laughs> did your mom, when you started to make it on Ma, did your mom sign her letters, Mother of a Star? No, that's ridiculous. Also not true. <laughs> so we don't have uh, one bit of true information about you. Uh, Where did we get this information? <laughs> uh, some some idiot was trying to make himself uh, likable. Anyway, listen to this. I'm doing a... Uh, you know, the funny thing is, one of my notes was to ask him that same question. Yeah. About mother of the star. Never happened, huh? Your mom didn't. What was the note? What was Gil? What was the note? Uh, well, the same thing Frank just asked <laughs> that your mother would sign the letters "mother of a star." That your mother was no. so proud of your success on Maud. Yeah, but no, no, not that what she would do. I tell you what, my mother would. I tell you how my mother uh, responded to uh, the the world. Uh, she was sitting and watching a play that uh, next to Ed Sullivan, I don't know how he got that seat, such a good seat next to her. She was in the second or the third row. And he found out that uh, I was her son. And he said to Mrs. Garber, your son's a pretty good actor. And my mother said back to him, he's a better son than an actor. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) What was the name of that show that I did... uh, when she went through the, you know, the oh, off-Broadway yeah. show. Yeah, the Cannibals. We were doing a show called The Cannibals. By the way, I just was asking Samantha what is the name. I don't remember everything I've done. The Cannibals in the off-Broadway, and there was a VOM, which is a short for vomitorium, which I have known, between two sections of the audience. My mother was on the aisle, and I was going to my death, and you know, as a Jew going to the death <laughs> in terms of this uh, ridiculous play. <laughs> And as I walk towards my death, I pass my mother, and she leans over, and she says, Excellent. <laughs> Great. See, the, the world is like that. Nobody cares about the, the literalness. They care about you. you. They love you, and you love them. Like, like Gil. <laughs> you yeah. love me, don't you? I love you. <laughs> Frank, I don't know about. I don't blame you, Bill. <laughs> and now while Gilbert heads into the nutmeg kitchen to steal more Perrier, <laughs> a word from our sponsor. <laughs> it's Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And now back to the show. Now, you had a chance, actually, to work with William H. Macy, if this is correct. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> My wife says no. Well, wait a minute. No. Did, well, they sent you a script for Shameless for Macy's show? No, 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 no. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. There's a 30-year difference. I'm 95. He's 65. Right. He's got red hair, he's Irish, and he's an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm a Jew. I got white hair and I eat herring. <laughs> you weren't uh, offered the role of a bartender on his show? No. <laughs> I don't give a damn if I'm right or wrong. I'm saying no. <laughs> his wife's correcting him. <laughs> He's t- insisting it didn't happen. Uh, Does your wife know about the other stories we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I met my wife in the show called Oh, Calcutta. Yep. 
I have to spell it because a lot of people think I'm saying old. No, O-H apostrophe Calcutta, like the Indian city. But uh, the story behind that is the producer was an Englishman, and he was in love with the behinds of women. And so he found a French expression called O Calcutta. But he knew that the American audience wouldn't understand it, so he made it Calcutta. Nobody ever understood it, and it was okay. But here, here was his premise. And it Whether, meant, uh, oh, what a lovely ass. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, something, mm-hmm. something that like was that. A bad, a bad joke. But anyway, here was his premise, which you can judge whether you like it or not, but this was his premise. When you were clothed in the show, the show had 12 scenes. Eight scenes were clothed and were sketches and so on, written by various famous authors of America. And the four scenes were unclothed, nude, with music behind and walking and so on and so forth. His premise was if you were clothed, and people spoke, they were profane. They were nasty. They were naughty, etc. Whereas if you were nude and you didn't say anything, you were perfect in God's eyes, everybody's eyes, you know, except for the Japanese used to come with binoculars. They wanted to see what kind of a pussy you had at the, <laughs> in the front row. <laughs> Japanese, <laughs> Japanese tourists came to the show with binoculars? Yes. <laughs> Again, made a, make a note of that. <laughs> I mean, they were so bizarre. They used to come backstage and say, I love your dick. I said, thank you for coming. <laughs> Did you ever see that show, Gil? I, I saw it. In the 70s, were you in it on Broadway? Yeah, I was in the first year. Oh, now that you're talking about that, it ran for 20, 25 years or different parts of the world and the country. But let me tell you why I quit the show. Why? Uh, I had a scene with Leon Russom, we're still buddies, where we were hay shakers. In other words, he sat in a chair and he was a young person at the time. I was 47, he was about 25. And... Uh, my opening 60 seconds were, uh, I think the lawn needs a little grass around here, the edges and the paint on the wall and this and that. I spoke innocuously about the, the keep, keeping the place. And he opened his mouth 60 seconds or 20 seconds later, there was a long pause, and he said, when I come, it's like a river all over the bed, the sheets and everything. You know what I mean, Paul? And the audience would go, Bizarre, you know. And then later in the show, he would say in that same piece, he would say, I learned how to use my thumb, at which point some woman in the back of the house would go screaming like, wah, 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 wah. Anyway, he left the show and Mitch McGuire replaced him. And Mitch McGuire wasn't getting a laugh on, I learned how to use my thumb. So Mitch McGuire once said, one night he said, I learned how to use my thumb, Afterwards, I went to him and I said, Mitch, what's that? What's that word? He says, get out of my face, Bill. I said, there is no such word in the language. Even if you're a hay shaker and you don't know how to read, nobody ever in the world ever said thumber. (laughs) 
<laughs> he refused to listen to me. I walked to management. I said, I quit. I'm not going to work with a son of a gun like that. So I, I just thought of something. If you were in that Broadway production when I saw it, this means I've seen your penis. <laughs> Did you have good eyesight then? <laughs> What row were you in, Gil? <laughs> I was there with the Japanese tourists. <laughs> you were starting. You know to what say, happens? That's how you met Samantha in that show. I was attracted by her smile, mm-hmm. and I imagine right? other things too. And Samantha stayed in the show after you left, or she 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 came afterward. Uh, how did that work, honey? I see. I was in the Broadway production. Uh, but he moved us uptown. So perhaps you didn't see Bill oh. Schmeckel. I don't think you saw Bill. Wait a minute. Gil. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll drop my pants now that you can take a look at my dick. <laughs> it's not the same size now because I'm 95. <laughs> That, that show you were talking about, it was an American Hurrah. That's the show where you're choking on the chicken bone? Yeah, who told you that, Frank? Well, we do a little research here. Hey, we got one right, Gil. I know. I Wait think, a minute. I think we should quit now. <laughs> Let's that, just wrap it up. No, that chicken bone, that took a seven-minute piece on the floor mm-hmm. when the people were yelling, help him, screaming, get a doctor, because they believed that I was actually going to get asphyxiated. I'm not going to try to spell that one. <laughs> Because of that chicken bone in my throat. And the lady in the second row, I'll never forget her, she was laughing her behind off and she went like this. He's dying! He's dying! He's dying! And he's laughing her ass off. And I got up. Finally, I, I, I got rid of the chicken bone. And I stood up and I said, fuck! And all my spittle went all over her. Wow. Oh, yeah, she broke me up. Now, here's a story that's probably not true either. Uh, <laughs> well, go ahead. It'll perfect, fit in with all our other perfect stories. setup. I I read <laughs> that there was a lot of bickering in your family, like a lot of arguing and and bickering, and you found the best way to quell things was by making people laugh. Uh, well, listen, I think everybody does that, but I. I don't know where you found the word bickering because that's not a Jewish word. <laughs> Quetching. And, yeah. and, and in my family, we were so poor. The audience that you have in your podcast, you have young and middle class and old. Because if I tell this story, I don't know how many people are going to understand that my mother would give me three pennies in 1927, 29, 31, and go to the store and get soup greens. And I would take the three pennies to the store and come back uh, 10 minutes later with a carrot, one stalk of celery, a, a green, and one celery. And she would make a soup for six people, my mother, my father, my brother, my two sisters, and myself. That's how poor we were. We were so poor that my I gave up religion when I was 11 
when my father asked me to go to the synagogue with him on 53rd, and they wouldn't let him in because he didn't have $5. It was a Passover holiday, and they wanted to raise money for the synagogue or whatever to pay their bills. And I looked at my father, and I didn't understand what was happening, but I saw the embarrassment on his face that he didn't have five bucks. So I gave up being a, a Jew in that regard, you know, and look what's happening with the religion all over the world. I don't want to get into that. This is supposed to be a humorous show. So anyway, the bickering happens all over the world. And uh, I guess, I don't know where you found that p particular piece of uh, information, but uh, I've always tried to make people laugh because uh, let me tell you the polar, I tell this every day of uh, my my polar bear story. Is it okay? Sure. Okay, yes. <laughs> yes. Your wife is cringing. <laughs> but, but go ahead. <laughs> this baby polar bear goes over to the mommy polar bear and says, Mommy, am I a pure polar bear? Like no black, no brown, no grizzly, no Kodak. The mommy polar bear says, Son, you are a pure polar bear. I am a pure polar bear. Your daddy is a pure Polar bear. Go ask him. He'll verify what we're talking about. I go to Daddy Polar Bear and I say, Daddy, am I a pure polar bear? No black, no brown, no grizzly, no Kodak. Daddy Polar Bear says, Son, you are a pure polar bear. Your mother is a pure polar bear. I am a pure polar bear. Why do you ask? And the baby polar bear says, uh, uh, I'm fucking freezing. <laughs> That's good. You want to ask now, something else that isn't true? <laughs> I just, I'm, a, I'm afraid to ask. Wait a minute. I got one that is true. I got one that is true. That show, that show where you were choking on the chicken bone, is that where Norman Lear saw you? Possibly. He had a he was doing a movie. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I got a possibly. Well, he was doing a movie, I think, on twelfth or thirteenth street. We were on twelfth and third. Uh he was doing the night they raided Minsky. Oh sure. And he may have seen me there. Uh, he's a son of a gun, by the way. Am I allowed to say that on TV? Oh, of course. On we, we just we just had him here a couple of weeks ago. That's son of a gun. You know he's a billionaire? Is he? He's got some of my money too. He doesn't give me any residuals. Wow. Interesting. How about that? And that's uh, that's uh, the deal he made you that he wouldn't give you any residuals? In the country, I was a rookie coming into TV in 1972. And he signed me and he said, by the way, I'll give you if we go to syndication, I'll give you residuals for the first year. But if thereafter I'll take them. I said, "Okay, go ahead." And that's what happened. So now that was in 40, uh, 72. We did it in 78. The one year was 79. So since 1980 till now, I don't get residuals. For more. I mean, I get residuals for other things. Screen Actors Guild protect you in that regard. But I thought that was quite naughty of him. He's got so much money. And my money, I did save quite a few bucks. I met a lawyer out here, Bruce uh, Spring. What was it, Bruce Stiglitz. Stiglitz? And he put me on a deferred tax plan, so I would pay very little money when I was making a lot of money. But I, when I reached, reached when I reached the age seventy-two, 
the government then wanted the deferred tax. So from 72 to 92, they took 100000 a year and busted me. And so now I live on my SAG pension. And uh, uh, I think the uh, government's pension. And I, I get something from uh, Actors' Equity a little bit. So I'm happy. You can see that right here and, and so on and so forth. By the way, does your audience also... Uh, uh, able to see this show or is it just no it's just us the- for now we record it and then we put it up later on the internet so and they won't be able to see our imagery they will not unfortunately my god I dress for the show look at the shirt that I'm wearing <laughs> did you change the part of, of Walter Bill when you got it was he more of an Irishman and, and you you all you told Norman you to- son of a gun you son of a gun <laughs> you really have done your homework <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, because I'm from Brooklyn and I couldn't understand their sophistication, Mm -hmm. when we had the first meeting of the, of the first reading of the first show of Maud, which existed because the president of CBS had seen B kill Archie on All in the Family. Oh, sure. And they made him a show. They wrote the part for Walter differently than what you've seen it because after they showed us the first reading I Norman says does anybody have anything to say and I said of course I have something to say he says go ahead I said what the hell kind of writing did you do for me I'm a Brooklyn Jew and you made me sound like an Irishman (laughs) (laughs) they made me sound like Archie Bunker (laughs) well they didn't speak to me for months because I was so forthright Wow. But that's okay. I didn't like what they had to say anyway. <laughs> and so, naturally, I became Walter on Maud, and I was happy to go to work every day, learn the lines and so on. And I was in love with B and in love with everybody else in the show. And then the show was over in 1978, and I went on to do the other thing with all the names that uh, yes. Gil had <laughs> mentioned. I you- never knew that I uh, worked with all those people. I now, saw, now, go ahead, go. Oh, what's what's interesting uh, is the borough of Brooklyn, which I was always, I was also born in. Uh, how many of our guests come from Brooklyn? Now you were born in Brooklyn. Actually, he was no, born I in wasn't. Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. My father was a. Frank is right on it. My father was a tailor in Lynn, Massachusetts. Yes. <laughs> and we lived in Revere, Massachusetts, okay. which is 10 miles outside of Boston. And I was born there with my brother was born there. My older sister was born there. And then we moved to Brooklyn when I was about nine months to a year old. There you go. Girl. Oh, okay. Raised in Brooklyn. Yeah, I was raised in Brooklyn. Oh, by the way, do you know how they teach the little kids in, uh, in Brooklyn the alphabet? How? Fucking A. <laughs> He's got a million of them. I have one more question about Maud, Bill, that I just want to ask. Because I saw I saw a clip with you and it was moving that you're you're still moved to this day when you look back at the at the, the uh, alcohol uh episode, oh, the alcoholic oh, episode when you slapped yeah, that was B. Brutal. That was brutal. It stays with you. You know you know what happened when we uh, knew what we were supposed to do? B and I would step aside 
and private and say, listen, Bill, she should say, don't hit me in the ear. Because I had a hitter in the, in the uh, smacker across the face in, mm-hmm. in one of the scenes there towards the end of the first episode. She says, I don't want you to hit my ear. So we would just make believe and I would bring my arm around so I would make sure that my hand was le- lower than her ear and on the cheek. And so we did that a couple of times and without hitting her. Then the show, Then we had to do the show. Now, when we're doing the show, I forgot what I just said to you, and I was just redoing the show. I forget exactly what happened, what we were drinking, and I hauled off and hit her. I did not hit her ear, but as soon as I hit her, she had kissed me. <laughs> I was alcoholic, and I broke down and cried. And then she said, Walter, we'll, we'll take care of you. You have an alcoholic program. Every time I think of that moment, it gets to me because I wasn't acting. I was like being. And uh, in fact, to change the subject a little, my wife is here behind me and she's an actress also. And I had a scene in NYPD Blue in which I had to tell my son that his wife was just killed. His mother was just killed. And I said to Samantha, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do that moment. And she says, well, go to the phone right now and tell my father that I'm dead. The next day I had to go to work, came to that moment. I just plugged into that moment that Samantha had helped me. In, and I told my son that his mother was dead. And so that's how we about keep doing that? our thing. you know. Good advice, Samantha. How about that? Well, Gil, what else you got for uh, I, for I, Bill? That's I not can't, true. Can't, <laughs> what are the bullshit questions do you have? Right now, I'm scared. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to ask you about more than you'll say you never on that oh, show. Oh, tell Bill your, your B. Arthur story. That's fun. Oh, one time I was at some event and I bumped into B. Arthur. And she said, you know, hi, Gilbert, how are you? And I said, hi, B. And uh, she goes, are you still living in the same place? And I thought, she's never been at my place, but okay, yeah. And how are things for you? And we're, we're making small talk. And then there's a pause, and B looks at me, and she goes, do we know each other, or do we just know each other from television? <laughs> and I said, I think we just know each other from television. And B. Arthur turns and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she she was a, a champion at the kind of behavior that she exhibited. Can I tell you one thing that she said to me? Sure. Sure. Be- Uh, This happened, maybe we were into the show maybe a month. And we were doing the show over on Fairfax and Beverly, the CBS studios. And they had an elevator from the second floor to the ground floor, which was the slowest moving elevator extant, E-X-T-A-N-T. And one night, getting into the, 
because we were sort of strangers towards each other early on. And about the third week, we're both on the elevator alone, and the elevator's on the second floor. We're going to the first floor. She's on the elevator. I'm on the elevator. We're not saying anything to each other because we just finished working and so on and so forth. And as the elevator is descending, she looks at me and she says, Bill, you're like a rock. Despite your lack of humor, you're like a rock. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Hey, Bill, can we talk a little bit about my favorite year? Of course. What, what, what happened on my favorite year? You were uh, Cy Benson, right? Jesus, you know more about me than I do. <laughs> <laughs> how do. We had Richard Benjamin here, and we also had Norman Steinberg. So how, how did you wind up in that movie, which is just a favorite of Gilbert's and mine? How did I end up in that movie? Well, maybe Norman uh, asked for my uh, services. Steinberg? Yeah, Norman Steinberg, because we used to be neighbors. Norman, what do you think? Are you with us? Hello. There he is. Norman, where are you? (laughs) (laughs) Bill, I'm sitting in the B&H dairy with two orders of pierogin waiting for you. Where the hell are you? (laughs) I'm I'm very good. I'm at Nate and Al's having herring. Oh, come on. That's, please. (laughs) It's not the same. (laughs) That was 1965 or 67, somewhere in there. Is that when you guys met, 65 or 67? When he was doing No Calcutta. What year was that, Bill? 69. Okay, 69. Kill me. (laughs) (laughs) It was, and you were still driving a cab when we met. And, and And then, like two months later, you had two BMWs. And I stayed in your house in, in the in the Palisades. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> you know why? Because because you're old. Well, let's get to the let's get to the bottom of this. Do you remember? Do you know who this is? No. <laughs> Norman, how, how did Bill how did Bill come to be uh, to be cast in my favorite year? I said we got to get Bill. He was he was he was the best, and he he had been in the producers. Bill, do you remember that? The producers. That's with Zero Mustel and Gene Wilder. Yeah, we yeah, yeah we covered, we covered that Norman before you got on. <laughs> wow, <laughs> this sounds like I'm talking to Donald Trump. Norman, Norman. Yes. The most important thing is I'm looking at Gil, and he is the best audience I ever had. So you <laughs> you, you better you better come up with something that's going to make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best audience anybody ever had. He is the best. <laughs> Norman was I, was Cy Benson based on a on an actual writer on a real person? Bill's character? Yeah, he was based on what? Who was the uh, the Russian writer? Um, who was on on show of shows your show of shows? Um, I'm trying to think of his name, uh, but that that that's great scene with Bill and and uh, Joe Bologna, and he says, "I if he doesn't like this, I 
I walk, I walk. He came in and, and Joe said, what's that? What's that? Something smells. Oh, it's the script. <laughs> he, said, he said, pull. And, and, and uh, Jessica Harper threw the script up and he shot it. And, and of course, Bill said, hey, I'm not married to it. <laughs> it was a tower, a tower of jello. Yep. Sorry to tell you this, uh, but King threw out the monologue. Leo, that monologue was good. Check that. Perfect. I wrote it. Here's where Cy Benson draws the line. Cy, don't do anything crazy. King's got to be taught. First comes the word, and the word was funny. The monologue stays, or I go. Cy, maybe we can compromise. No compromise. Cy Benson has his integrity, his pride. King does that monologue word for word, or I walk. I walk. Monologues in. Morning, King. Morning, King. Hello, Stan. Hey, good morning. King, about the monologue. Sir, do you smell something? It's coming from the script. Oh, it's your monologue. Oh, what a stink burger. Casey, pull. Boom. I hate it. It's not funny. It's out. Hey, babe, we're not married to it. Monologue's out. Cy Benson, a tower of jello. You listen, Norman's a writer, so he remembers that kind of stuff. He just brought back in my memory the behavior of that. All I remember is that I did a lot of yelling because that's why they hire me, because a lot of people don't have the computers, and they have to hear me in some other manner. <laughs> <laughs> You're great in that part, Bill. Talk, talk up, Bill. I can't hear you. There you go. You see what I'm saying? You, you, you know that. You know that I love you very much, and I, and I call. I didn't your know house. that you were a homosexual. <laughs> homosexual. What are you talking? Give me a chance. Said, I, I said I have to talk to Bill. And she said he's playing cards. Was that is that true? You go every day and play cards somewhere. Yes, I do. Why? What about it? <laughs> Did you just suggest he was a homosexual because he said he loves you, Bill? That's yeah. right. <laughs> Frank, you have the best ears of everybody. <laughs> but, you know, you didn't give me a chance to say, I love Joe Bologna and he's passed. Yeah. Yeah. I hope well, you can say that. You can, that. you can show some affection. Yeah, I'm showing it. How old are you, Norman? Me? I'm 78. Wow. And, yeah, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. <laughs> you, you knew me when I was when I was in my uh, late 20s. And my ex, one of my ex-wives, anyhow. So this is... Norman, uh, do you remember he, you coming to the house to interview Bill when he was doing O Calcutta? I can't, no, I interviewed my ex-wife. Interviewed him at the Eden Theater. We can. That's where I first met him. And yeah. and then I. You came to our apartment and you said, "I got just got married, and now all the world is taking off their clothes." That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was don't on remember St. Mark any Street of that crap. Place, and you were where? You were in the East Village as well, weren't you? Yes, on, on 8th or something. We had moved, yeah, up to 8th, I think. 
Yeah, way uptown. But Gil. Yeah. Gil. Yeah. I don't remember what these people are talking about. I, I told, I think I told you, Frank, about the sketch that, uh, Bill, that you did with in Ocalcutta. I think it was the first one where you were sitting on the porch in the rocking chair and Leon Russell. I just Russell. told him about yep, it. What he, about just, it? He, he just told us about it. <laughs> what, is, what, is your, what do you think? What's your knowledge about it? Norman, I'm interested. My knowledge about it that is that you you had I don't think you had a word and you just you listening to your son who had just You're come back from shit. college he <laughs> was explaining in excruciating detail every single every single nuance and thrust of a of a particularly dirty encounter with a woman and All right, listen, let me ask you a question, okay? Go, go ahead. Is this how do your you, show now? Go ahead. How do you how do you how do you pronounce the 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 word T H U M B? Thumb. I'm say, how? Thumb. There was a guy named Mitch McGuire <laughs> who, who replaced Leon Russell. Because that was Leon's uh when he was the original, he said, I learned how to use my thumb. And the audience <laughs> would go crazy at a certain time. Mitch McGuire came in and started to say, I learned how to use my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Norma, what I did? No. I, I went to him and he refused to change it. I quit the show. You quit the show because of that? There you go. Absolutely. I wouldn't work with a guy that was going to be so stupid. <laughs> 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 Norman, before we let you go, can you guys each say a little something about uh, about Joe Bologna, the great Joe Bologna, who just left us? Well, we, he married uh, he married a girl I wanted to screw. That's very heartfelt. She's still around, Bill. <laughs> well, so if Renee wants a, a small penis, she got one. <laughs> well, you, I think you, you did just as well. Now, your your wife, I, I love your wife too, and and I miss you. And I, I have a I have a bed for you up here, and uh, I, I live in Red Hook, New York, in the in the Hudson Valley. So, uh, are there any caught casinos there? Uh, yeah, you can go. Yeah, they're Indians. There are Indians here. You can go and mock them. But, but, uh, Joe, uh, I think Joe ge uh, really genuinely intimidated you on that. Now, listen, I mean, was, let me tell you the Jewish, Norman, the, the Jewish term for a wild Indian is Vildachaya. If you want me to mock an Indian, I got to go, whoa, 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 Vildachaya. <laughs> 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 now, Bill, you you are you are a Listen, nice friend, Norman, and you are also you legendary. Too, Norman. So, Norman, you have to understand. I, I'm going to call you at home and speak All right. to you. All right, get put it on the speaker air. so you can hear right, me. Listen to this, All right. Gil. Uh, you have to understand about Gil. He invited me to do the show, and I f have such a feeling for his. Uh, implicit uh, permission, that's exactly how I'm behaving because 
He's the only one in the world besides my wife who sometimes says, talk to me dirty. (laughs) 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 And so I'm happy. I'm happy to speak to you even though you're 78 and I don't hang out with young people anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Norman, thanks thanks so much for calling in and surprising Bill. Hey, Bill. Love Bill, you, I'm, giving, I'm giving you a kiss, and I'll meet you at the B&H. Okay? <laughs> He's very excited. I hope, I, can, I hope that happens before we both die. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Norman Steinberg, the legendary writer of Blazing Saddles in my favorite year. And Norman, thanks. Thank, thank you, Frank. Bye, buddy. Bye, bye Bill. Take care, Gilbert. Oh, bye-bye, bye, Norman. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Gil. Yes. Everything I said about you, I never met you in person. And you look uh, strange on this little kind of a Skype thing that we're using. (laughs) But that doesn't make any difference. I remember you when I used to see you on TV. Wow. And and you're such a crazy person. (laughs) That I said when I was invited to come on your show, I said yes immediately. Now, generally speaking, I don't behave as I've behaved on your show. I'm a perfect Jewish gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't use profanity because if I do, they kick me out of the casino. They don't even want me to make any allusions towards the opposite sex. And it's so fucking boring that when I was asked to come on your show, I said, wow, <laughs> I finally made it. Uh, I, I got to ask you a question that ever since I heard you were in old Calcutta, it's the most important question. Uh, you being a guy there and a bunch of other guys, and there's these attractive actresses around naked. Was there ever an embarrassing erection on stage? Yes. <laughs> there you go, Gil. Wait a minute. I'm going to answer the question uh, okay. specifically. Nancy Tribush, that's her name. <laughs> You're laughing at her name, but I hope she can see this podcast because it's the truth. She and the other Four ladies, there's five ladies and five men in the show. And in the part of the uh, sequence I told you about it, there was eight scenes of words and profanity and four scenes of nudity and music. So in this particular scene, Nancy told me later that the girls got together and said, let's make the guys hard. So we were just lying down like this, and suddenly Nancy's hand creeps past my thigh, grabs my dick, and we have no words, you know, just just listening to the music. Jesus, guy telling you the story, I'm getting hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an exaggeration. It's really semi-hard. I'm only 95. <laughs> oh. And then when we stood up to leave, she held on to my member and we walked off stage. Wow. There you go, Gil. That was, oh, that was, that's, I'm, that was, I'm glad I asked that one. 
Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Gilbert's <laughs> looking to be in a revival. <laughs> I got to be young people, though. You can't. Can you imagine about 10, 95-year-old people on stage walking around naked? <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese wouldn't even come with their binoculars. <laughs> Bill, let's talk a little bit about the Late Show, which I just rewatched uh, yesterday, which is so much fun. You, you and Art Carney and Lily Tomlin. Yeah, it's one of my favorite shows. That show, uh, you're really serious. You just watched it. Recently? I just watched. Well, I, I happen to own it, and because I, I have a big movie collection, and I just watched it again last night. It's so much fun. And you're such a you perfect know, li- little sleaze ball in the picture. Late Show with Art Carney, mm-hmm. who was the partner to uh, Jackie Gleason for so many years as a comedian was brilliant. And that Frank Considine who hit me across the chest oh, yeah. in that movie, in that movie, he really hauled off and hurt me. Oh, he did. I wasn't acting when I, when I, I don't know if the rest of your audience could understand what we're talking about. When they're in, when you're in the porno theater and he gives you the shiv with the elbow. Oh yeah. boy, did he hit me? Woo. Yeah. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And Lily Tomlin, it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous show. You know this movie, so, Gilbert? Oh, Ro- yes. Robert Benton yes. And, and Robert Altman producing? Really yeah. terrific to our listeners. If you guys haven't seen The Late Show, find it. Yeah. And Benton gave me the part because I had, uh, he was one of the writers in Oak Calcutta, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a good yeah, connection. He I don't know what scene. Do you remember yeah, what scene? Yeah, we'll answer all sincere replies. Wife swappings. The wife's not being seen, and uh, we'll, we'll answer all sincere replies. By the way, O Calcutta has been filmed. For any of your audience people that want to see Samantha's ass <laughs> <laughs> and my dick. <laughs> and, and we're real good in it and funny, too. I watched some yeah. clips on YouTube today. <laughs> Do you remember, uh, Gilbert will like this, Bill. This is a wild stab. Do you remember working with John Carradine in a movie called Death at Love House? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Was you, Sylvia Sidney, Dorothy Lamour, Joan Blondell, and John Carradine? No. So we're batting a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait a minute. That, I, how could I remember? You're going back to the 40s. Yeah, well, it's the 70s, but close enough. No, I wasn't an actor until... No, no, you did that, but it was a long time ago. It was the 70s. Jo- Gilbert loves John Carradine, so yeah. I took a shot. How about something more recent? How about The Jerk? You Damn were... these glasses. There you go. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> what was Steve Martin like? A pleasure. Yeah. He did his work. He's a talented person. He's a fantastic banjo player from what I've seen. And it was his first movie. And he's uh, done about 20, 30 movies since then. And uh, my part uh, of coming in to have some gasoline and listening to somebody hates these cans and... Oh, yeah. Some <laughs> and Walsh. Stuff, you know, it was... Uh, um, the director... Uh, Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner, he was a, a perfect gentleman to me. He was me in three movies. He must have liked my work and so on. But I, when I did my work, Gil, 
I don't think I was acting uh, like a normal actor act, like with uh, research and so on. I just am myself in that situation. So when I said, damn these glasses, because they kept on falling off, I meant it. I wasn't acting, quote unquote. And when I do some of the other work that I do, uh, it's just like I before when I was talking to you about uh, that uh, the, the piece where I had to tell my son that his mother was dead, you know, uh, it just uh, it came over me, you know, or when I hit B and uh, across the mouth, uh, across the, the side of the face, I had no idea that my response would be what it was. You know, just even doing, talking to you on this particular podcast, I had no idea that that was going to happen to me. And uh, I just have to live with it. I'm just a crybaby. We were talking about Bill Persky before we turned the mics on, and I was talking to Bill about directing you in the movie Serial. He says, ask Bill if he remembers this moment. He's looking at his wife. His, her breast is exposed. He jumps up, runs into the bathroom, brushes his teeth, slaps on aftershave, washes his face, runs back into the room, and in 30 seconds she's made the bed and she's gone. <laughs> and he said you did it in such a funny way and in one take. I'm I'm not going to uh, say anything about it. I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, how about do you remember? The, do you remember the Broadway play? And this was a flop. Do you remember being in the roast? Marshall and Belson wrote, also directed by Carl. Oh my God! Who was the star of that? Peter Boyle, Barney Martin, Rob Reiner, David Huddleston, Doug McClure, and you. What did I do in that? You played, uh, I'm trying to find it. I rem- I didn't see the actual play. I remember when that came out. Yeah, it was about comedians. I don't remember it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found your bio in the playbill, which is interesting. You know, it's interesting to me, Frank, that you know more about me than I do. <laughs> I'd like to point this out, and uh, uh, <laughs> maybe Samantha will get a kick out of this. In the playbill for that show, everybody has an extensive bio that's paragraphs, multiple paragraphs long. Peter Boyle and, and Rob Reiner. And Bill's bio just says, Bill Macy has acted before and likely will again. <laughs> now, what was the story to be author leaving Maud? Oh, I'll give you a response to that. B was married to Gene Sachs, a Broadway director. And they eventually moved out here because she had the show, Maud. You know, B was a personal friend of Norman Lear. That's how she got into All in the Family. And then the CBS president called Norman after she saw her kill Archie in the show The Cousin Maud and they wrote a series for B. Now, they had two adopted sons and uh, I don't know literally what happened but her husband, Jean, met a younger woman and told B he was leaving her. Whew. 
at that time, CBS wanted the show to go further. And B said, no, I can't go on at this moment. She had to recover from that kind of an experience. Wow. And three years later, she did recover by doing The Golden Girls. And uh, like all people, her husband died. She died. Rue McClanahan died. I shouldn't go into all of that now because you didn't ask me that question. You just asked me about what you did ask. You know, I forgot what you even asked me. Well, but you said so the show could have gone on a couple of more years had she not, in your opinion, had she not uh, pulled yeah. up stakes when she did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was what it was, you know. Like this show that we're doing now, what do you want to call this show right now? Give it a give it a name, this hour, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Gil. I'll, uh, I'll let you do that one. <laughs> Uh, uh, Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the interesting thing, first of all, you have no idea because you're over there and I'm over here. My uh, wife is right behind me. Maggie, our darling chauffeur with a dog, is right here with us. I'm in ecstasy now because <laughs> you've invited me to talk to you. Really, and well, you've we're, permitted me we're honored, to be, and you've permitted me to be profane and vulgar and so on and so forth. And once I leave here, I may commit suicide. <laughs> Before you go, <laughs> because I don't know who else is going to uh, 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 give me permission to behave the way I. Behaving on this, it's show. all downhill from here, right? It's downhill, like a like a like a this fastest elevator extent. That's like terrible. Wait a minute, Samantha. Yes. You won't kill me when we leave, do you? Will you? <laughs> I, I, I absolutely <laughs> gonna, won't. Yes. Right. <laughs> okay, here's a question from one of our listeners, Bill. For you, did Bill get? This is from Scott Stewart. Did Bill get to keep any of the Opti Grab props from the jerk because they'd probably be worth money now? Absolutely not. What do you mean worth money? That's bullshit. <laughs> okay, Scott, there you go. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm cynical enough to know uh, that there's money involved in the world and so on and so forth. But that's not, I told you they took 100000 of me for 20 years and so they busted me. So I'm still going to be vulgar and alive and so on and so forth. But, uh, Money, money. You know, I'm happy to do the show just because you asked me to do it. <laughs> do you have any memories of working with Tony Curtis, Bill? That motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Frank, hey, even though I don't know you, I love you because you come up with the research that's so perfect. That son of a bitch. Here's what Tony Curtis did. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> we were doing... I forget the name of the show. The Scarlet O'Hara War. Okay. And uh, he had a, uh, a big bus that he came to work in, and they gave me, believe it or not, a big bus to go to work in. And 
my bus, for this strange reason, pulled into what was considered Tony Curtis's spot on the, on the, where you park your cars. And his bus now was behind mine and didn't have his spot. He refused to go to work. Wow. Because my bus was in his spot. Unbelievable. What a diva. So I told the driver to back up the bus, make the turn that's proper, just like way Maggie and I had to come in two or three different entrances to get to this interview. We should have stayed at the second one because there were a lot of naked ladies that <laughs> one. <laughs> and so that's the Tony Curtis story. That son of a bitch. Yeah. It had nothing to do with acting. It had to do with being a person. <laughs> Gil, what else you got? <laughs> I don't know what else is true. Wait a minute. You're the one that has done the research. I don't even remember... <laughs> much of what we're talking about. For instance, every Friday night, we watch the reruns of Maud right. on Time Warner Cable, station 1258 Antenna. And I look at Samantha, she's having a good time, and I say, what the hell is that? I don't remember. Is that me? I mean, it's a guy who's only 50. I'm 95 now. Right. How am I supposed to recognize a 45-year-old schmuck? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what you even did that. Mm -hmm. But I guess it was me. Here's and another. She just, Go ahead. And she just killed me in the show. Yeah. Every so often I'd get a chance to say, Mood, sit. <laughs> did you hear what you just said? Did you hear what you just My money. Well, it is my money. I earned it. Of course it is. That's my point. I'm totally dependent on you, Walter. I live off your income. I'm a parasite. Oh, come on, Maud. You're not a parasite. You have your work just like I have mine. You get paid for what you do. Nobody gives me a dime, and that's the barometer, Walter. Money. You know you're being productive when somebody pays you money to do something. I'll give you five bucks to put on your dress. <laughs> What was Alan Arkin like to work with? Oh, you Wait did Bad Medicine with Alan Arkin. Wait a minute. Alan Arkin. I think I fell in love with Alan Arkin. <laughs> you know why? That's right. He was a professional actor. Uh-huh. And we went to some southern place. Was it... Uh, we Spain. went to a foreign country to do it, right? Spain, Spain says Spain. your wife. Right. You know better than I do. Hey! You know, we were in a movie together. You're in that movie? I'm in bad medicine. Ah! Oh. Wow. This is insane! Wow. It just <laughs> popped into my head now. You're like... It, it, there's one part in the movie where Steve Gutenberg gets shot. Thank God. And, and you're... <laughs> And and you want to, like, pay money to, uh, you know, like, how can we hush this up? And 
and you're riding in the limo and then you have like a heart attack and 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 then they all jump to it when you're having a heart attack if you say so yeah <laughs> we were in that movie you were in the I scene was, with him yeah he played steve gutenberg's father and and i was uh, tony sandoval <laughs> <laughs> This is so weird. You were a I, I didn't. I yes, yes, a very convincing one. Of course. And I, all this time, I didn't even think about that. That's because you're getting older too. <laughs> we were in a movie together. One degree of separation. Gilbert yeah. Gottfried and yeah. Bill Macy. It was. It was in Madrid. So you've actually met? I don't know if we ever actually met, though. Okay. Yeah, but... Dill, whatever happened to Steve Gutenberg? <laughs> he's, he's around. <laughs> Frank, what's your last name? Santo Padre. Holy Father. Uh, come on, Frank. I asked you if, what's your last name. Yeah, Santo Padre. Are you Spanish? Italiano. Do you speak, do you understand Spanish? No, not at all. I don't understand Italian either. Well, because I could tell you a story in Spanish, but I'm not going to because I, if you if you or Gil doesn't understand it, I don't want to tell the joke in English because it's not the same joke. <laughs> no, I'm an, I'm an Italian-American kid from Brooklyn. Gil. Yes. I told you the polar bear joke, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Do you... Give me permission to tell you what I consider a, a, a well, it's a joke, but I learned how to tell it in Spanish. But what, could I tell it to you in English? Oh, sure. It takes place in an old age home. This old lady walks over to this old guy and she says, you know, I could guess your age. He says, please, lady, give me a break. I could guess your age. He wants to get rid of her. He says, okay, 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 okay. what's my age? And she says, well, first you have to drop your pants. He says, get away, you're crazy. Get drop your pants, I'll guess you're He looks around, there's nobody. He drops his pants. What's my age? No, you also have to drop your shorts. He said, you're crazy. Get away from me. Drop your shorts, I'll guess your age. He looks around, there's nobody there. He drops his shorts. What's my age? She grabs his balls and she goes like this. 95. He said, how the hell did you do that? She says, you told me yesterday. <laughs> Do you know, I tell that joke on my Dirty Joke DVD. He tells that joke in his act. Yeah. Oh, far out. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. He I, tells I, it a little I, differently, though. Yeah. Yours has a finger in the butt. Oh, yes. I, <laughs> I learned, yeah, it's on my I learned Dirty how to tell DVD. that uh, in the Commerce Casino, where they have many Spanish people working, they taught me how to uh, say some of the words in Spanish. Un día una mujer vieja dice a un hombre viejo en la casa con gente viejo también. Ella dice, señor, yo puedo adivinar tu edad. I'm able to guess your age in Espanol. And when I meet a Spanish person, like I walk along the street and I see somebody who looks Spanish, and I say, Mexicana, señor? He says, see, and I took that, I stand right there in front of him and tell him a joke. And I get three laughs. 
<laughs> I get the, <laughs> dropped the pants, dropped the shorts, and you, you told me yesterday. That's it. In Spanish. He also stops policemen, and he says, pull over. And then when they do, he says, do you want the joke in Spanish or in English? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> My wife is here, and I got this joke with her and me in it, and it goes like this. Sam, golf course or intercourse? She says, take a sweater. <laughs> All right. Oh, gosh. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we we have been talking to my old co-star from Bad Medicine, <laughs> a film that even we haven't seen. You didn't see it? <laughs> you didn't see the movie? <laughs> No, that one I saw. There's a bunch of others. (laughs) We got a plug here, too, before we go. Bill will be appearing at the Hollywood Autograph Show at the Westin Hotel in Los Angeles on October 21st. Signing signing autographs. So if you want to meet the great and very funny Bill Macy, you look surprised that I'm giving you this plug, Bill. (laughs) He's nodding. Uh, You'll be at the Hollywood Autograph Show. Do I have that right, I hope? And most importantly, <laughs> his wife is nodding. I hope it's true. If I'm speechless. An actress named Bush was playing with your penis. Nancy Tribush. Yeah, Tribush. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to thank Matt Beckoff, and we want to thank, of course, Maggie Irwin uh, for for being a saint and for getting uh, Bill to the interview, <laughs> and the lovely and talented Samantha, and uh, for to Norman Steinberg for calling in. And, and next time we talk to you, we hope we have one question that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, this has been vastly entertaining. I hope you had as much fun as we did. I'm sad now that it's over. Oh. Well, we, we, could, we could go on, but we ran out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> we pretty much gave up. How about After the first six fails. How about this one? You were in a TV movie called Diary of a Young Comic with Richard Lewis, Dom DeLuise, and Georgie Jessel. I remember that one. Any memories of Jessel? Did you work with him? No. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Mention some of the other guys. Dom DeLuise. No. And what, Richard, what the Richard Lewis. Yeah, Richard Lewis. His nickname was Dick. We loved Richard. <laughs> How about Esther Roll? Tell us something about Esther Roll. We had John Amos here. You worked with Esther for so many years on Maud. Yeah. Uh, we got along. Uh, John Amos was a personal, uh, very good actor and so on and so forth. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I want to leave because this is like the, mm-hmm. the denouement, right? Yeah, this so let is me, it. <laughs> let, me do, let me do one more thing. Uh, which I do out in, uh, wherever I go, and I want to do it here with you. Uh, yeah. You know what a ghost could possibly sing to another ghost? What? Here it goes. 
I ain't got nobody. <laughs> you missed your calling, Bill. You should have been a crooner. This was fun. I love you. We love you. Thank you for entertaining us within an inch of our lives. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Once again, this has (laughs) been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with with my uh, co-star. That's me. (laughs) Oh, him. No, my co-star, Bill Macy. Oh, gotcha. From Bad Medicine and my co-host, Francanto Padre. But most importantly, my co-star. Bill, we'll tell you we've done a hundred. We've done 166 of these with some pretty funny people. We've had uh, Stephen Wright, and we had uh, Dick Van Dyke, and who else did we have here? Oh, Marty Allen. Marty Allen, and uh, and uh, we. I don't think we've laughed this hard on any show. Wow. So that's a very nice compliment. So thanks, buddy. Thank you, Thank Bill. You.